Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. I am your co-host, and I am always joined by the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, my good friend, James Johnson. Jay, we have a really special episode for them and uh, really excited to get with this week. Yeah, man. Yes, indeed, we do. Uh, Glad to have our guest who I'll let you introduce. But yeah, glad to be back at it, man. And uh, once again, we appreciate all of the feedback that everybody has been giving us and um, all the listens and what have you. And yeah, man, can't wait to uh, get into the topics of this episode. I really, really like the list that we got going here. That's correct, guys. And as Jay just alluded to, we do have a guest in the studio here tonight. He is my other co-host from my other project, which is the Wait For It podcast. And I'll give Eric the opportunity here to introduce himself. So this is at Mr. Eric Almighty, a fellow Jaguar fan. So Eric, how are you doing tonight? Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, guys, this has been long overdue. Uh, Yeah, I'm one of the co-hosts for the Wait For It podcast with Phil. And, you know, we talk about pop culture, gaming, uh, but we also talk a lot about sports, wrestling on our weekly episode, uh, What Did I Miss, every Monday. And, you know, we also release at least an additional episode. So if you're interested in stuff like The Last of Us, the Hamilton film recently, or just anime, paranormal, anything in general, we pretty much cover it all. And I've had a lot of experience on the mic with Phil, but me and Jay also kind of go a ways back as well. And I know how much work he puts into it. So I'm really excited to join you guys here. Yeah, man, for sure. And we've done some crossover stuff with Jay as well, talking about football. So we're excited to talk about some Jaguar football here this week. So we'll get started here in just another moment. As Jay alluded to, we have some really, really great topics. Uh, Before we begin, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Big shout out to those of you who have gone over there and also left us some comments. We really, really love reading those. We're available on all of your favorite podcast directories, which includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. The Twitter page for the podcast is Believe in Jags Pod. I'm over at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. And you can find Eric at Mr. Eric Almighty. So, guys, let's get into the big news of the week. And that is Patrick Mahomes signing the richest contract in sports history. So, the Kansas City Chiefs and Super Bowl MVP quarterback Patrick Mahomes have reached an agreement on a 10-year contract extension We now know that it is worth $503 million and contains an injury guarantee of $140 million. Jay, I'm still not 100% sure what that is, so maybe you can speak on that. Uh, Mike Trout was previously held that distinction when he signed a large deal with the Angels, and that was $426.5 million. So that kind of gives you an idea of how much more money Patrick Mahomes got. Chiefs chairman and CEO Clark Hunt said this is a significant moment for our franchise and for Chiefs Kingdom. Since he joined the Chiefs just a few years ago, Patrick has developed into one of the most prolific athletes in all of sports. So I'm going to let you guys cover this one first here. So Jay, really quick, what did you think when you first heard the details of this contract? And also, for those of us who don't know, what is the injury guarantee? 
Yeah, so starting with the injury guarantee, I'm assuming that's if Patrick Mahomes, and of course, we always say this, we we pray nobody has uh, any kind of catastrophic injury, but he has a catastrophic injury where I guess in this case for $141 million, this would probably apply for if he never suited up again as a Kansas City Chief. That's the number that he would probably get is what I'm assuming. So that's a lot of money, man, if, if you know, something happens. But look, we don't think anything is going to happen for one, first and foremost. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see this kind of contract floated out because I've, you, me and you've talked about this. Uh, the owners have been not only duping us as fans and taxpayers, but they've been duping the players in a way as well. So, you know, to see this kind of contract floated out there, it's just crazy. When I first saw it, it was the crazy thing about it is like I got a notification. And the numbers kept going up with each notification at first. And I think it was you and Josh sending me the, the messages because I, were, I was writing. At first, it started at like 400 million. And then somebody sent out another text that said it was 450. And then it jumped to like 503. I was like, hold up, where, when is this number going to stop or whatever the case may be? But nonetheless, just I'm glad to be a part of a moment like this, I guess I would say, uh, because I never thought in my wildest dreams I'll see a number like this floated out. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, we all know in the NFL, nobody really plays out these kind of contracts. So, you know, I'll be interested to see what happens in four or five years, how they uh, extend or whatever the case may be. They do from that point when he's made up all of the guaranteed money or whatever the case may be. But Definitely a historic moment uh, that I'm glad to be a part of, glad to even talk on and report on, uh, because this is one that we'll probably share with our grandkids for the rest of our lives, pretty much. So, Eric, what were your first initial thoughts? And what did you think about, just like Jay said, that number going up? And also add on additionally, do you think that he'll actually see the end of this contract? Yeah, so we talked about this uh, when we first heard it. You know, you were sending me the initial tweet from Adam Schefter. And I was saying, you know, obviously I freaked out at first, but then I said, I wanted to see what the numbers are going to be. And for me, I think that's really, it came down to the guaranteed money as far as this deal being a pretty big deal. And I, I think it worked for both the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Now that may be crazy to say for a $500 million contract, a 10 year deal, but I really do think it was somewhat team friendly. And I think that Maybe five years from now, we are going to see his cap number and we are going to see his salary and, and probably look at restructuring that or turning some of that money into, you know, guaranteed money somehow. I know they, they have a, a way of doing so, you know, typically in these type of contracts. So overall, I would say I think it's a good deal for both the team and for the player. And that typically doesn't happen with these big deals. And of course, it's Patrick Mahomes. He's the face of the, the franchise, the face of the NFL moving forward. I mean, you got to pay the man his money and his due. We really shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, and I want to speak on a little bit what Eric said there, where he said is a very you know friendly deal all the way around. You know, it helps out both sides. And one thing that a lot of people were pointing out, especially on like ESPN places like that, Fox Sports, that in a few years, you know, this deal may be obsolete in terms of the money he's getting annually. So, Jay, in your opinion, do you think that Patrick Mahomes made a mistake? Uh, because he would probably would have been able to command more money. This is one of the big hangups with the Dak Prescott deal 
is that he wants a short-term four-year deal so we can hit the market again. So do you think in the long run, Patrick Mahomes is going to regret this? Or do you get the feeling that this was pretty much a consensus all around? They wanted to get this done and get it done quickly. Yeah, I think it was a consensus all around and they wanted to get something done and they wanted, I don't necessarily want to say quickly because they have been working on it for months, probably longer uh, than any contract that has ever been done. And, uh, but I think around the, I was looking at the figures, I think around the year of 2023 is when we'll see like uh, me and Eric kind of alluded to some restructuring because like his cap number jumps up into the $40 million range, which I don't know if a quarterback has that type of a cap hit currently I think the most is like a little bit over 30 so they'll look into probably restructuring it then but no I don't think it was a mistake because I mean well for one I think like the the Kansas City Chiefs have a good front office in place uh with uh Hunt um I forget his first name but you mentioned him their owner Boren Ghazi who's probably going to be a GM one day he's one of the executives there so I think like eventually they're even when the cap number gets high and it comes to restructuring and so on and so forth, I do think that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to take care of him even past the point where, you know, he's uh, no longer making the guarantees or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, like if there was any front office that could write a contract like this and the player could be confident, and I know, you know, there's that stigma, you can't really trust the NFL, but if there were some front offices that I could trust to make sure that they would take care of me, uh, even beyond what we're seeing here as, uh, like I said, I guess I'm going to put a number on the, I'll say the 2024 range around that year. It would be like the Kansas City Chiefs, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, you know, organizations that have been known to take care of their players. And I mean, I don't think anybody doubts that Patrick Mahomes is the long-term quarterback for this team uh, beyond that point. So I think he'll be fine. So that transitions us into really kind of our first topic, which is tagging on to this Patrick Mahomes deal. And Eric, I want you to go first. We've seen the Dallas Cowboys do this. I believe it's Tyron Smith. Jake, correct me if I'm wrong. That has, I think, an eight-year deal. Of course, we have, now we have this Patrick Mahomes deal. You really don't see this very often in football. But do you think there is anybody that you'd see maybe a year or two from now on the Jaguars that would warrant or possibly deserve this kind of long-term deal in the future? I'm glad you, you, you chose me to go first because it's a pretty easy answer. The answer for me is, is no, and absolutely not. Unless Gardner Minshew turns out to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And even then, because speaking to Patrick Mahomes' contract, there's been a lot of talk on, you know, a lot of debate shows, you know, get up, first take, things like that. I don't think Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson even are going to get this type of contract. So unless Gardner Minshew all of a sudden leaps into Patrick Mahomes territory, I don't see a player on the roster at this moment that comes even close to more than a five-year deal. What about you, Jay? Same question. Yeah, what I'll tag on to that, what uh, Eric said about Watson and guys like Jackson, I want to do, I want to add on to that is, yeah, you're not going to see this thing often. Okay. This is not something that it's going to be a trend or anything. I don't think at least, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is just a special case where the Kansas city chiefs haven't had a franchise quarterback for a very long time. They know how hard it is to hit on that position. Um, and this is going to be a rarity in the league, in my opinion, but there, there are going to be some people that make maybe a seven, eight year type of deal. And, you know, you might see another Patrick Mahomes down the road somewhere, but I don't think it's going to be like Eric said, I don't think it's going to be Deshaun Watson or Jackson, especially Watson, because there have been rumors and whispers. I don't know if they're true or not, but uh, you know, 
Watson doesn't necessarily know if he wants to be with the Texans long term. He might actually want a short term deal, a shorter term deal, because you look at what Bill O'Brien is doing around him and he's really destroying that team around Deshaun Watson. So I think Deshaun Watson might take the approach of, hey, you know, I'll take a shorter term deal, see if things get better down the road, see if I even want to play for Bill O'Brien down the road, if Bill O'Brien is even my coach and so on and so forth. So I don't think we should expect him to get that type of deal. Uh, Lamar Jackson, maybe because of what I mentioned early, you know, there are certain front offices that are just consistent and good at what they're doing, consistent in building teams. And the Ravens are one of them. So maybe him, but then again, you never know. But, it, you know, of those two, I would probably say Jackson may get a deal along those lines. Now, in, in terms of the Jacksonville Jaguars and anybody that um could warrant this type of contract, I got a good name that you guys are going to love. And that name is Taven Bryant. Please, please stop. Please okay. stop. <laughs> no, no. But yeah, I mean, like, OK, so. When this deal came out, I immediately started to think, like, who on the Jazz roster could even, like, we can even mention with this? And like Eric said, I'm with Eric on this. I don't think there really is anybody right now. But if we wanted to even remotely associate this type of contract with anybody, uh, the names that come to mind for me are Gardner Minshew, who Eric mentioned, uh, DJ Chark, or Josh Allen. Now, Josh Allen is a guy that, you know, if you start to see him get along the lines of uh, 12 or upward sacks this year, and then the next year he ups it again or whatever the case may be, you got to think that you might be, if he continues to improve, you might be looking at a Von Miller type of player. So maybe he will warrant a deal like this, not necessarily 10 years like Patrick Mahomes, or technically I guess it's 12 because it's an extension for Patrick Mahomes. So I think maybe Josh Allen could get a eight type of year deal maybe and that's not even a guarantee uh maybe like you said with uh tyron smith who he has an eight-year deal or his eight-year extension technically uh so you know maybe him you know maybe same could apply for chark if he's you know keeps putting together these 1000 yard seasons and, and 10 touchdowns something along those lines maybe you could look at him as a guy like that or maybe guarding him issue but i think the difference with this team is that you know you can't look into the future that far and say that dave caldwell or shot Khan has the capability to build what the chiefs or the ravens could so you might not have players that's willing to you know kind of take that kind of a bold move if you will although you know again as we discussed Typically, players aren't going to play out the years on this contract, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at on it. I pretty much fall exactly where you guys do. Minshew or Josh Allen would be the two names that come to mind. One of the biggest reasons I have doubt that this would ever happen is because of the front office. If I think if I mean, because of the way that they've handled things in the past. Now, of course, we've talked about this extensively. Jade, Tom Coughlin is gone and hopefully things will start to turn a new leaf. But because of the front office, I don't believe anything like this would ever happen. And I feel like they really have to prove again to not only the fan base, but more importantly, the locker room that the front office and the coaching staff have their best interests in mind long term. So I, I don't see it happening around here. But Josh Allen and Minshew would be the names. The I'm glad you brought up Deshaun Watson uh, because based on Bill O'Brien, he's probably going to trade Deshaun Watson uh, any any day now. So I'm glad you brought that. I'm glad you brought up that name. <laughs> I I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I hope he's unwise enough to trade him to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But uh, one more thing I want to say too, when you brought up Chark, I wanted to say this on him. Um, 
and and well, not necessarily chart, but you brought up the front office is what I meant. The Jags front office can start writing their wrongs immediately next year when the offseason is over. They need to get behind closed doors, and that's if DJ Chark is healthy and have a good season, and start getting him on a uh, or start working towards a long-term deal. Now, I'm not talking about a Patrick Mahomes type of deal or even a Tyron Smith type of deal, but more along the lines of a four-year deal because they've just built this bad reputation of how they do business and how they, you know, fans already feel as though they don't take care of their best players and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, each year they need to look at a guy and say, we need to reward this guy that got to start shedding that that perception uh, that Dave Caldwell and Tom Coughlin have built if Dave Caldwell continues to be the GM or whoever continues to be the GM. Chad Cohn needs to make it a point of emphasis from this year on to look at a guy, at least one guy, and give them a long-term extension to kind of, you know, get the trust of the players, if you will. And DJ Chark, who will be on the third year of his deal this year, will be eligible for a contract extension. And I can't think of another guy that's probably worth giving, uh, you know, a, a nice lump sum of money uh, aside from him. And I mean, some other people might pop up. We, we never know how others are, will perform. But DJ Chark is definitely the guy I would be eyeing to give a long-term extension like they did for Alan Hearns type of deal or, um, you know, like they did for Marquise Lee. Of course, DJ Chart is going to make way more money than those guys because he's more talented. But I'm just saying just kind of follow that trend and, uh, you know, maybe that will help the Jacksonville Jaguars start gaining the trust of the players and fans. Absolutely, Jay. It's a really, really good point. So let's transition here into uh, some interesting news that the fan base has been very vocal about, Jay, when you put this article out over on the Jaguars wire. So in an article from The Athletic uh, here, gentlemen, TIA Bank was named the second worst stadium in the NFL. So, of course, with stadium technology getting more advanced by the year, the NFL has long emphasized getting fans out of their homes and attending games instead. As a result, new state-of-the-art stadiums have been popping up pretty much everywhere around the nation. Now, some older stadiums, as you mentioned here in this article, Jay, like Lambeau and Arrowhead, you know, have still withstood the test of time. Um, but a lot of casual fans and, um, you know, especially local fans aren't really very happy about the experience from TIAA. Uh, Jay, this is actually something we talked about extensively uh, with Shant Club a couple of weeks ago when we had the opportunity to join them. So this was uh, the comments from former Jaguars reporter and current Chargers reporter Daniel Popper. He said Jaguars owner Shad Khan has attempted to spice up his team's outdated home stadium in recent years. He added pool cabanas to the premium seating and spent more than $60 million on the world's largest video boards, which cover nearly the entire east and west ends of the stadium. But the splashy purchases have done little to mask the deficiencies of this building. Fans brave enough to attend home games early in the season have to deal with absolutely blistering heat and sun in certain parts of the stands. The stadium hasn't received any significant renovation, which is defined as an excess of $300 million since it was erected in 1995 something it desperately needs. During that span, the Bills are the only other NFL team to not either build a new stadium or conduct significant renovations. Until that happens in Jacksonville, the bank will linger on the depths of lists like these. So Eric, I want you to go first here. Now the three of us have been to plenty of games and I'll I'll even just reference just, I think it was a year and a half ago, Eric, where we brought our kids to the game and we only made it to halftime because we didn't want them to melt. And we also were just miserable because of the heat. So 
What do you think about this list? Now, Jay, you'll have to remind me uh, or point out, I can't remember who was last on the list. I believe it might have been the Bills. I'm not 100% sure. But Eric, I'll let you go first. What do you think about the stadium experience being ranked second to last? Now, I can really only give this experience based off of my experience at this particular stadium. Just to my knowledge, I can't recall going to any other stadiums. And if so, it wasn't very memorable. So I've got to say that as a fan of the Jaguars, sometimes it's hard to watch the games for the product on the field. But if we're just talking for the stadium, I mean, there are definitely several concerns that I've had ever since I joined my first game as a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. The main thing being the heat, it is a problem and it is something that needs to be addressed. I mean, I believe it was last season and Phil, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but last season we had several people uh, have to be either hospitalized or you know, ambulances being brought because it was just so hot in the stadium. And in addition to that, you know, the stadium is outdated in a lot of different areas. I'm curious to see if you guys agree with me because I, I get a real 90s feel in a lot of areas of the stadium. And with a franchise that hasn't had a lot of success, that's not a very good thing. Like there's some areas that are really like modern and then you see the pool cabanas. And then there are some places that seem like they haven't been touched since Tom Coughlin was leading the Jaguars. So that's my biggest issue. I just think it's all over the place and we could use a complete rehaul. Eric, I would agree with you. You know, it's elements of the stadium that still feels like the 90s and when Tom Coughlin was there, albeit, you know, Shad Khan just did what he can to, you know, kind of match the deficiencies or whatever the case may be. But I think more so some of the things he's added is more so to get people out of their homes, as we have been saying, to watch a poor product on the field until basically they can start playing better. So I've done a lot of research. I haven't been to... I've been to the Georgia Dome, but I haven't been to any other stadiums aside from that and Jacksonville Stadium. Uh, so based on personal experience, I, I just do a lot of research on stadiums because I don't know if I told you guys this, but I, I really like NFL architecture. I took like engineering in high school and like building stuff and, and whatnot. So like I just I find myself just randomly researching architecture and what this building is made out of and what that building is made out of, what this stadium features and what that stadium features. And yeah, when you compare it to like what the new stadiums that have been built over the last few years, because they're popping up like at least one or two a year, uh, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars are falling behind times very, very quickly. And part of the reason for that is because they are one of two teams that haven't had quote unquote, what they would consider by the NFL standard, major renovations, which Phil mentioned in this article, which Popper had commented on. But what would be considered major renovations is renovations of 300 or over. Um, And I tend to think like more along the lines of maybe 400 million or over, but they haven't had those. And the Bills are the other team that haven't had those um, since the stadiums or their respective stadiums have been built. By the way, Phil, to answer your question, uh, the team that was first was the uh, was FedEx Field by Washington. So uh, that answers your question on that. So I think, you know, with Shad Khan and his name has been popping up in the whole Wimberley situation again. I, I saw it on Google, uh, some websites across seas, and we don't know if it is true necessarily or it holds any validity to it. But his name is popping up to buy Wimberley again. Uh, because I guess the coronavirus has has made it to where they need a new buyer on it or whatever the case may be. I have to research it more. But, you know, the fact that Shad Khan, if he's going to pitch a bid for it and he's willing to, 
is going to put, we'll say upwards in American cash. I don't know what it equals in pounds. We'll say upwards of 700 to 800, maybe 900 million into buying Wembley Stadium if he buys Wembley Stadium, if he wants to again. He said he would revisit that when the issue came up, uh, what was it, two years ago. You know, fans then can look at him and say like, okay, you're willing to put that much into Wembley Stadium over there, which is basically the Jaguars' second home where they have two games. Why can't you help us put X amount, let's just say what the Miami Dolphins have put into their stadium, Hard Rock Stadium. Why can't you help us put at least like half of what you even put in Wembley into a stadium here? Or, or to upgrades here, and we can get an upgrade more along the lines of what the Dolphins had for, uh, I think theirs were, it totaled up to be roughly four to five hundred million, and it took like three years to do so, or maybe a little bit over five hundred million from what I read from a lot of Miami articles. That included the canopy, of course, which is the biggest feature, the most notable feature, but it also included new seating and um, couches basically in the stadium, uh, living room like areas for club seats and and what have you, new um, restaurants were redone and, and so on and so forth. The concourse area was redone. You know, now, you know, if he's going to go that route with Wembley, people will have that argument to make like, well, Jacksonville over here, we need a state. Uh, we need a roof over here because people, as you guys have pointed out, and you have children that want to go to the game as well. But people are passing out. Children want to go to the game. We want to make it more comfortable for them. Uh, what do you plan to do about things on this end? Yeah, and Jay, that's actually kind of what I was talking about. Like, you know, there's a lot of stadiums out there that just visually, from what I can see, are a lot more modern, a lot more crisp, and they have nostalgia you know, everywhere in the stadium, but it doesn't just feel outdated. I feel like we're stuck in time in some areas of the stadium. And Phil, you know, you might like this analogy. I kind of just thought about it. I never really realized this. I feel the same way going in and out of the stadium as I do when I go out to the bars, except that it's really hot. And I also just watch the Jaguars lose. That's, that's honestly how I feel. And I, I feel like that's probably the experience these people had that, that voted you know, us as the second worst stadium. Although I do think that's a little harsh. Yeah, I, I agree uh, before Phil jump in. And I actually said it in an article, I think they're more along the lines of maybe that 25 range or maybe even closer to like 23 or 22. I do not think by any means that they are that bad of a stadium or that TIAA Bankfield is that bad of a stadium. I mean, off the top of my head, I would think like, the Bills stadium might be a, a little worse, although they have a winning tradition going on now. But the features in the stadium, um, and I think Phil can actually speak on that because he's been there. Uh, maybe Paul Brown Stadium off the top of my head, which is that's the, um, if I can recall, that's the Bengals stadium. That's one of the older ones. Nissan Stadium, from what I've heard, a lot of Jags fans have been to Nissan Stadium because obviously the Titans and the Jags have a rivalry. I heard that's not all that impressive either. Um, you know, I think the Carolina Panthers, Bank of America Stadium is another one that's roughly the same age as the Jags because they're the Jags sister team. They almost came into the league at the same time. I don't think it's that much better than the Jag Stadium, if at all. I mean, they don't have pools and they don't have the big screen. So that's like four off the top of my head. So yeah, this article, in my opinion, and then you got the, by the way, the stadium in um, LA, The I think they're using the Coliseum for uh, the Chargers, is it? Or somebody's using Rams the Coliseum. Rams use the Coliseum. Okay, yeah, the Rams. So 
I mean, I would think that was applied to this survey as well because the Rams haven't played in their new stadium as well. You can't tell me, yeah, while it has tradition, that stadium wasn't even made for for the NFL. I mean, I, I guess you could argue that the Jag Stadium wasn't either, but that's certainly the case with that stadium. So, yeah, that was a little harsh in terms of the grading and the scale that they put on there. Uh, but still, nonetheless, Jacksonville is falling behind the times. And we'll see if they make those renovations because they've mentioned it. I think it was last year Mark Lampin did. But then coronavirus hit, so they kind of offset things. But you make no mistake about it. You will start to hear about these types of things uh, next year, you know, when we kind of get some normalcy going. Yeah, you guys threw out a lot of really, really great points there. And I want to talk a little bit about what Eric was talking about, where he said, you know, you just feel like I think I went to my first Jaguar game in 1996. And the experience hasn't really changed much other than I can see pools that I'll never be able to afford to go in. And we have these giant TV screens, right? There's really not a whole lot that has changed. So Jay, you talked about how I've been to its new era field, which is in Buffalo. I can tell you just from talking to people there, they don't want a new stadium. It's it's really oddly placed too. It's like in the middle of a neighborhood. It kind of reminds me like Lambeau Field, I think is just in the middle of a bunch of houses in Green Bay. That's very similar to how it is with New Era Field. And people, I think, one, don't want to pay for it. That's definitely part of it. But also, they are really, really passionate about the tradition and the history of that stadium. And I don't think they want that to go away where we don't have that here, which is a big, big difference. Now, I will say personally, I mean, for they got they have bleachers in that stadium, for God's sakes. But still, it was cool to be in that place. That has had so much history happen in it. You know, you look at those old Bills teams and everything that's gone on there. That was pretty cool. I've been to Raymond James Stadium. and I can definitely tell you that TIAA is better than Raymond James Field uh, Stadium. So I don't know how that was ranked above us. Um, and then the biggest example that I've been to, I'm not sure where it ranked on the list, but I'm sure it was pretty high, is AT&T Stadium. And Jay, you've been on the outside of that thing, and you can probably get an idea of you know, just how great that stadium is. I, I was fortunate enough to be there for a couple of times when I lived out in Dallas. And that thing is incredible. Of course, it has the um, has the roof and it has the ability to open up uh, right there in the middle if they choose. But it's 70 degrees in there the whole time. And I, I remember going to a game for the first time and wondering how I ever got through a game in this Florida heat, especially in August through, you know, October. It's unbearable. So, I think they're really going to have to make some changes. And Eric, this is actually something Jay and I have talked about extensively. If Shad Khan wanted to go to the city and, you know, demand that they help him build a stadium, one, do you think that would ever happen? But also, two, where do you think it would go? Because Jay and I have thrown out ideas of they would have to play somebody somewhere else for a year, like um, whether it be in Orlando or Gainesville or something like that. Do you think they would just build over the new stadium? Because, of course, they also have uh, Daly's Place, which is now a really big factor when it comes into AEW and also a concert venue. What do you think they would do if Shad Khan ever was like, you know what, we need to build a new stadium? How would that go down? I personally couldn't imagine it anywhere else than where it is now. And where it is now is somewhat inconvenient, but I mean... All honesty, you can make it work. It'd be nice if there was like different areas for parking, you know, because if you're not paying premium parking at the stadium, you're you're basically just driving around until you find a spot. And that's not and you know, that's if you don't take the bus or if you carpool, whatever the deal may be. But I honestly don't know unless they do some major renovations, you know, very upwards of what Jay was talking about. 
you know, as far as the amounts and the dollars, I don't think it's going to move anywhere. And I think they're probably just, you know, worst, in worst case, I'd probably see them breaking the building down and building it from scratch before they end up moving the location. If it was that big of a deal. Yeah, I, I agree with Eric because, I mean, Shah Khan wants to make downtown the Mecca. They want to build Lot J there. They already have built Daly's place there. That is where he wants to build it, essentially. That's the only place it can be in Shah Khan's eyes. So if they even, and that's, you know, that's a discussion that me and you have said, Phil, that's probably one of those discussions that they'll have like 10 years down the road. They might be thinking along the lines of, you know, major renovations for now because they've mentioned it, but as me and you have mentioned too, Phil, with, you know, renovations that are going to be 400 million to 500 million at that point, you're halfway at paying for a new stadium. Again, going back to what I was saying with Shad Khan, if he does purchase Wembley, you have a case to say, okay, well, if you're going to put almost a billion on Wembley, you can't even go half in on us with some renovations or to go half in with the city to just build a completely new stadium. Uh, That's another argument for another time. But some of the points that Eric made, he's absolutely right about the structure of downtown. Uh, I think what Eric was trying to get at is the parking, yes, is is terrible. And I think what the issue is, I don't think downtown Jacksonville in terms of the street structure and construction was made for a stadium. So they would have to build the, uh, I guess you would say, the, the structure of the roads and the highways downtown as well to make the traffic flow better because we've been to the game several times and we've seen how hard it is to get in and out of there. And like he said, the parking is all over the place, which I do know part of the renovations with Lot J was they were trying to make a like multi-tier parking garage to help out with the parking situation, but we'll see. And actually they have started knocking down the ramps of uh, one of the expressways down there, one of the bridges down there to start uh, getting movement on Lot J or whatever the case may be. Although nothing has been announced, I've seen pictures, people were uh, tweeting out pictures of uh, the construction and the deconstruction, should I say, going on down there. One more thing, Phil, before we move on to the next topic. I'm glad you brought up the Buffalo Bills Stadium because they'll be the blueprint of how the Jacksonville Jaguars do things. People are going to watch and see, or Jacksonville at least should be watching to see how they do it because they don't want to spend a lot of money necessarily on a new stadium. And as you said, they're actually kind of fine with uh with Ralph Wilson Stadium or New Era Field. So it feels like Goodell is forcing that issue on them getting a new stadium or getting renovations. And they they are cool with what they have and they're winning. So that also helps as well. So I think in the end, you know, the Pagulas will probably lean more towards renovations to get him off of their case because that's something that the fans necessarily don't want but Goodell is kind of overplaying if you will and trying to make a bigger deal than it is so what's the number one sign of a bad home security system a home security system that's so overly complicated that you never use it that's exactly the type of system simply safe has spent a decade fighting against Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your home 24-7. You can order it online, open the box, place the sensors anywhere you want them, plug it in, and just like that, your home is protected around the clock. It's just that simple. So head to simplysafe.com slash team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash team. It feels good to fear less.
Right. So as you mentioned, Jay, I definitely think they belong somewhere in the 24, 25, 26 range and definitely not uh, as low as they have been ranked. But, you know, time will tell. And honestly, I think a lot of people would just be happy if we got some kind of canopy just like the Miami Dolphins have. That would make such a huge difference. But this is a topic we could talk about for a very, very long time. So let's move on. And this is why the three of us got together to see where everybody would go in terms of this. And we're going to go with we're each going to name a bold take for the Jacksonville Jaguars for the 2020 season. And we have not told each other what they're going to be. Hopefully there is no overlap, but just be aware that that might happen. Uh, I hope it doesn't, but we will see. So Eric, since you are our guest, we're going to let you go first. So what is your hot take, your bold take for the Jacksonville Jaguars for the 2020 season? I'm really curious to see whether or not this will be considered a bold take, especially with the uncertainty that's going on, you know, with the world right now and and how the the whole season is going to play out. But my hot take, honestly, is going to affect both sides of the ball, mainly focusing on the defense, though. I think the offense is going to finish outside of the top 20 in 2020. And I think that the defense is actually going to sneak into the top 15 defenses in the league. So the main reasons for me thinking that are because the offense, I just, you know, when I think about the creativity and honestly, some of the spots on the offense are a little shaky. The running back position, if Fournette even gets tired, is going to be a problem. The tight end position is literally an injury prone position where we could end up having no tight ends by week three. And then you've got the offensive line who's going to dictate Gardner Minshew's success. So I think that's going to be an issue. But I think that the additions, both through the draft and, of course, free agency for the Jaguars' defensive side of the ball, I think that is going to pay dividends. And, you know, they definitely still have a coaching staff that is used to a certain type of success in some recent years. So I I don't know. I think they have a really good shot of having a good defense, maybe being able to turn the ball over. And even though that offense, you know, offense could finish 21st, you know, still outside the top 20. But they could score enough points to still make it competitive. I still see this team as like an 8-8 eight and eight team, probably at its peak. I definitely am with you, Eric. I think the defense can be sneaky good. Even with losing guys you know, like Calais Campbell and A.J. Boye, you're going to have to rely a lot on youth. Of course, the 40 gang, Jay, you and I talk about that a lot. I definitely think the defense could be sneaky good. And I think the offense maybe could be pretty bad. What do you think, Jay? There's times where I look at this team and I believe that the offense could be better than the defense. And it's because what I keep going back to is how many starters they're going to be starting that are rookies on the defensive side and uh, the lack of a preseason. They might not even have a a preseason at all. You know, the NFLPA is fighting to not have a preseason. So you're going to be throwing a lot of rookies into the furnace early. But I also, as you and Eric have said, I can also see this defense doing well, too. Um, So. I kind of flip flop on that, but I think if you made me make a call today, I would definitely say that the offense is going to be better. And the reason for that is because they have them, they have more veterans while the offensive line, as Eric said, and the tight end position is kind of sketchy. Uh, I do like what Jay Gruden brings and it's just something about that potential combination of him and Gardner Minshew that could turn out to be something very good, especially when you look at uh, what Jay Gruden has done with young quarterbacks and furthermore with um I guess you could say utilizing the full receiving core you know he's utilized the slot pretty well uh the young man his name escapes my mind right now the slot receiver they had with Washington 
Um, I'm sure one of y'all can look that up real quick, but he was very, very dominant during Jay Gruden's time with uh, Washington. So, you know, I think like they could get some sneaky production out of the slot. Yeah. Leonard Fournette concerns me uh, as well as he does for you all as well, because we've discussed that many times on this podcast, but yeah, I think the offense, if I had to put my money on it, I think the offense would probably be the better of the two units. Yeah, and I don't blame you for saying that either. I think the player you might have been thinking about was James Crowder. Not 100% sure, but, uh, you know, he has had some success. And, you know, he's kind of having to prove himself again. I think it could work out. But I I definitely think the team still needs a pass-catching back to complement Fournette. They definitely need a better tight end, whether that's Njoku, you know, through the trade block or, or whoever it may be. And then one of those offensive linemen that are going to probably be plugged in as a first-time starter need to work out. You know, Ben Ben Barch, for example, I know is getting a little bit of shine after being drafted in the fourth round, I believe. So, you know, it's, it's there's a lot of moving pieces on the offense where I think it's very similar to the defense, but I think the defense has a little bit more talent that could work out. And I'm also thinking that there's going to be some offensive issues throughout the league as well as the teams that aren't able to really practice together. I think on the defensive side of the ball, they could probably come together a little bit more where, you know, that chemistry that you get as like quarterback receivers, offensive line, I think that's a little bit harder to get back. Yeah. Jamison Crowder. That's his name. You're right, Eric. Uh, That's the young man's name. He has been super productive in the slot. So yeah, I mean, a, a lot of what you said isn't wrong for sure. So, you know, it's one of those time will tell type of things that we'll have to see. So that's a pretty good one there, Eric, for seeing some struggles in the offense, but a defense that may be uh, overachieved. So for me, I'll go second here as far as our bold takes. And Eric, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to surprise you, I think, uh, on this one because of something, some things that you just mentioned about the offense. So, gentlemen, my prediction is that Josh Oliver is going to lead the Jaguars in receiving touchdowns next year. And I'm going to throw something else out here. I'll give you a bonus one here in just a little bit. So, of course, Josh Oliver was riddled with injuries. He really only got very minimal playing time towards the end of the year. I think when it all was said and done, he had three catches for 15 yards. However, he was considered a little bit of a sleeper going into the draft. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jay. Now, so Trevor Sakima over at the Draft Network actually did a pretty extensive write up on him and actually think he would be the tw- uh, he would actually be 2019's top sleeper tight end. Now, of course, injuries riddled that we're not 100 percent sure, you know, how it's going to play out. But if you look, especially early on, Gardner Minshew was really heavily targeting those tight ends, specifically James O'Shaughnessy before he went down, uh, Jeff Swaim as well. And then later on the year when Seth the Valve had to step in, you know, there were, of course, a bunch of different names that were thrown in uh, as far as options at tight end. Now, of course, we just brought in Tyler Eifer, but Jay and I, Jay, you and I have talked extensively about his injury history. It's very well known. Um, Now, hopefully he'll be able to put it together. And of course, he's going to have more familiarity as far as this system with Jay Gruden now here. But Josh Oliver, he's incredibly comfortable in the red zone. You can see that in his film. He understands the subtle nuances of route running as far as being in the red zone. And he's one of those guys that I think can create mismatches. He's an athletic guy. He certainly needs to work on his blocking. That is a little bit of a mess when you look at the film. But I think this guy has potential. I think Gardner Minshew was really, really going to love throwing to him. My other thing that I noticed while I was watching tape is that San Jose State liked to run the Wildcat, and we just brought in LaVisca Chenault, who they've already said they're going to move around all over the field. So my second, and this is maybe more of a prediction, 
as opposed to a bold take. My second prediction is going to be that we are going to see at one point during the season, LaVisca Chenault throw a touchdown pass to Josh Oliver. So there it is, guys. Josh Oliver is going to lead the Jaguars in receiving touchdowns in 2020. You know that um, you know that SpongeBob meme that's like, "I right, I'm gonna head out." <laughs> that's 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 how I feel. Uh, I want Josh Oliver to be good. I do, but I think I don't think the tight end that they need is on the roster. I just I really really don't I don't know that he's talented enough to just kind of beat Tyler Eifert, who I think is gonna get a real shot, and then James O'Shaughnessy had a ton of chemistry before he got hurt with Minshew as well. I, I still don't think the tight ends on the roster. I think they need to fill it in, but you know, I just think he's, you know, he's like third on the depth chart. Probably. I don't even know who the fourth tight end is. They're going to have to carry a fourth though. So, you know, not a bad idea. You know, I could see, you know, Chanel getting a touchdown throw for sure. You know, maybe even a run or something. I think he's definitely going to be a dark horse this year, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm not all in on, on Josh Oliver. Jay, what do you think? Yeah, with Josh Oliver, I'm kind of along the lines of with Phil on this because of, again, going back to Jay Gruden and how the tight end position has been utilized under him. And Josh Oliver is one of these guys that's kind of a sneaky athlete. Uh, You know, he kind of has, you know, dare I say a little bit of Jordan Reed in him when, you know, he was actually healthy and what have you. Uh, And I think, you know, the thing about Josh Oliver is maybe last season was kind of just an off season for him because if I can recall I don't think he's really had health issues like that and it was just a case of just being um, misfortunate so I could see Josh Oliver having some success and um, in terms of it was one more thing I wanted to touch on I'm blanking that feels oh yeah the LaVisca Chenault thing I could see that happening as well them getting creative with him I mean Doug Marone has all but said it like he literally told LaVisca when they drafted him like hey we got a lot of stuff that we're gonna put on your plate basically and LaVisca was like, yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that. You know, pretty much load the plate up. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him throw a touchdown. I wouldn't be surprised. To, and, and then another key to remember with that is guess who else is on the coaching staff? Denard Robinson. And you know he might even throw in, even though he's just a quality control, controls coach, he'll throw in some wrinkles in there, in my opinion. And, you know, he might suggest – a play where LaVisca is, is throwing a touchdown to Jay Gruden, who is, you know, Jay Gruden is a innovator, if you will. So I can see that happening as well. I, I mean, I'm really excited about LaVisca if he can stay healthy too. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what the offense could do. I mean, if anything, if they're not, like Eric said earlier, I think their ceiling is somewhere around eight and eight. Even if they're not going to make a serious playoff run, we hope that it's at least entertaining. And I think with Chenault, and a guy like Josh Oliver, who has the potential to be a kind of a guy that they can, they move him around a lot as well, Jay. I don't know if, if that's something you noticed as uh, as well. You, you see him in the slot quite often. Um, you see him moving around. You see him in motion coming out of the backfield. So I, I have a lot of belief in Josh Oliver, but the whole point of this was, you know, to to take some take some risks. And that's where I'm going as far as Josh Oliver. We'll see what happens. But I mean, last year, Jay, you said that Josh Allen was going to have 10 sacks, and I believe he hit that in like week 12 or 13. So now this is a little bit more, um, might be a little bit more difficult to achieve, but we'll definitely see what happens. So Jay, we'll head over to you. So what is your bold take for the 2020 season? It's funny you mentioned Josh Allen. <laughs> it's like you read my mind here. And I've I've gone through several bold takes in my mind uh, because it's just so hard to do with all the uncertainty with COVID-19 and, you know, the lack of a preseason 
or the preseason getting cut in half, or if the NFLPA has it their way, the preseason getting eliminated. But that has caused me to focus more so on the players that have experience as opposed to the players who don't have experience. Uh, Go with the ones you trust more than the the ones you don't trust. And Josh Allen showed us some pretty impressive things. I mean, I've I've long banged the table for him and and what he can do and his abilities and, and what have you. And I think this year, even without Calais Campbell on the defensive line, I think Josh Allen, based on the numbers of last year's sacks leader, I think Josh Allen could maybe be third in sacks. And what third in sacks would be, Cam Jordan was third last year with 15.5, so I'm going to say 16 for Josh Allen. That will put him only behind Shaquille Barrett, Tampa Bay Buccaneers linebacker, of course, Chandler Jones. Uh, of the Arizona Cardinals. And the reason I say that is because of Chandler Jones. You look at that Arizona defense, who can you name that's a notable person in that defense aside from Chandler Jones? A lot of people will say like, yeah, they can key on key in on Josh Allen. He doesn't necessarily have help like he did before in the past around him. But that same case could be made for Chandler Jones. If you guys could sit here and tell me somebody that was on that 2019 Arizona Cardinals defense, not named Chandler Jones. Please feel free to tell me right now. Uh, nope. I got nothing. Exactly. That's and that's why I feel as though Josh Allen can do it too. And and another thing is, I feel that Josh Allen. A lot of people keep saying that he won't have the help that he had in the past. But you know, I, I kind of want to pump the brakes on that. Yeah, Calais Campbell is gone, and yeah, Calais Campbell had a ninety on PFF. But I think Calais Campbell scored highly on PFF and this is not me knocking him because I'm a big Calais Campbell fan It's more so because of his abilities against the run as opposed to his pass rush abilities and that's not to say he's a slouch in terms of a pass rusher but I think he's much much better especially at this point in his career and especially how the Jaguars used him he saw a lot of snaps on the field I believe that he's more you know his PFF grade is more attributed to his abilities as a run defender And I think when you look around Josh Allen, I don't think the cupboard is bare, so to speak. I think when you look next to Josh Allen, you have Al Woods, who, you know, he's a veteran. He's been around the block. He's played for four, at least four different teams and so on and so forth. But Al Woods is a legit guy that can eat double teams on a defensive line at the nose tackle position. Uh, You look at a guy that I'm also high on, and I've spoken on this in the past, Devon Hamilton. I think Devon Hamilton is going to be sneaky good. And again, it's not going to show up in the stat books because he's going to be playing nose tackle. He's going to be eating double teams. But that fits perfectly with what Josh Allen would need him to do. And I think that's going to help Josh Allen, those two, having those two there to help shore up the run who, you know, make no mistake about it. And neither one of those guys is Marcel Darius, but Devon Hamilton has the potential to be and some. I think Devon Hamilton actually is a better pass rusher than Darius. So um, that's where I'm at with my bold prediction is I think Josh Allen will have 16 sacks. Of course, that will lead the team, but that will probably be good for like top three in the NFL. I want to hear what y'all think. Yeah, Jay. So I think that that's definitely possible. And I think that's kind of to support my point earlier and my bold prediction, which was that the defense could be top 15. And I really think that because of just talent in general, I mean, across that line, I think that the interior could be strong, you know, with the draft that they had and, you know, hopefully Taven Bryan gets that 10 year contract that, you know, we were joking about and that he turns out really to be really good. He seemed to improve down the stretch. 
So that that was my recollection of his performance kind of later later in the year. I definitely think they're going to have really good linebacking core, and I think they're going to have a strong secondary. It's definitely probably going to be the weaker half. So I think up front, when we talk about linebackers and D-line, D that's going to be where the strength of the defense is, and that usually results in sacks. Right, right. And you hit on a good point. I f- that's a guy that I forgot to mention is Taven Bryant. As much as I was joking about the thing earlier about a 10-year contract, me and Phil have been advocates of Taven Bryant. We have actually gave Taven Bryant his props despite one Lamar Jackson in that draft. People thought we were crazy. People laughed at the article that I posted that that said last year that Taven Bryant was having a good season. It was around week four or five or something like that. But Taven Bryant had a sneaky good season. Taven Bryant, if I can recall, actually had the second best grade on the defensive side. And I think the only one that had a better grade than him on PFF was uh, DJ Hayden, which was the nickelback, which is uh, that's crazy. A guy that doesn't even necessarily see a lot of, or see is not a full-time starter, so to speak. I guess you could say he's a full-time starter because they use nickel a lot. But I digress from my point. But, yes, I forgot about Taven Bryant. He does help Josh Allen's case. They can meet at the quarterback. Uh, so that's all the more reason why I think he could reach that number. And, yeah, yeah, with, like you said, it does kind of line up with what you were saying about the defense earlier where they could be sneaky good. I just think I think in the early stages – the best way I can put it, I think in the early stages, they'll take their lumps, which is fine because the schedule is weak. At that point, they play like the Bengals and the Dolphins and the Lions and teams like that. So you could take your lumps then and, and, and it might not hurt you all that much. But I think, yeah, to your credit, I think they can start to find themselves when those rookies start to get experience, you know, maybe around week six or after week six, which I think that's the buy. You know, we could see these guys start to mature. And I think, you know, even before that point, I think Josh Allen's going to start off hot. And when the team starts to mature even more around him, he'll be even more dangerous. I could certainly see Josh Allen making that leap. Um, the argument could be made. I don't even know, Jay or, or Eric, if you guys know, did he even get any votes for defensive rookie of the year? I think he maybe he got a few, but not many at all. You know, we were pretty much. Um, of course, you know, calling for him the whole season as long uh, as well as Gardner Minshew getting some recognition as well. That didn't happen. But uh, I digress from that point. I could certainly see because the defensive line, I think, is going to be sneaky good, which alludes to what Eric had said. And yeah, just 16 sacks, I think would be, man, what, what a crazy season that would be. How many did he end up with last year? Was it 12? 11. Yeah. So, I mean, with him being the focal point, and I think Calavon has an opportunity to be sneaky good as well. You know, we, we talk about, of course, Calais is going to be gone. And I know other people outside of the fan base are going to be pointing at that, just like you said, Jay. But I think Calavon has the opportunity to be good. I think Dewan Smoot is really, really anxious and eager to make his mark. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you guys on these these defensive things. I think they could certainly win us some games and, and turn some heads for sure. So, Hey, by the way, Phil, it, it was 10.5. My bad on that. And uh, real quick, I don't know if you guys are curious to see what I had as my backups. Well, actually, this one, I'll, I'll give this one to the, the offensive side. I think this could happen, too. And I actually said this in the roundtable discussion we had with the Believe guys, Phil. I think the Jazz will have two 1,000-yard receivers. Now, that might be a good thing or a bad thing uh, because, as, we, as we've seen in the past, when the Jazz had two 1,000-yard receivers in the past, with I think it was Allen Hearns and Allen Robinson with Blake Borders. It was because they were playing from behind a lot. But I think in this case, it might be a good thing because I think Chris Conley, if he can get rid of the drops, me and you talked about that in the last podcast. I think 
You know, he could be a guy. He has that speed, too, that he can get yardage and huge chunks. I think Chris Conley could be a guy that gets a 1,000 yards alongside DJ Chark. Again, you know, that's granted everybody's healthy. We got a lot of concerns with health this year in terms of COVID-19 and, and even injuries on the field. So that was one that I had, and I believe that could happen. Taven Bryan will have the second-best grade on PFF on defense again was my other one. Of course, the first-best grade would be Josh Allen. If he's going to get, like, what, I said 16 sacks, I think, you know, he'll probably get the best grade. Uh, so that was one. Miles Jack will be a pro bowler was one I was considering. And this was one that I kind of considered before I knew the dynamic of what the offseason and training camp would be. But I predicted J.R. Reed, the undrafted rookie from the UGA. And I wish I had the glory, glory Georgia music on here uh, to play <laughs> during this uh, moment. But I think. He had the possibility I was going to pin him down as a starter in uh, Wilson's place. Or, I mean, the um, young man that we got from Auburn, Daniel Thomas, was going to replace him in the starting lineup at safety. But, you know, with the season going away or the preseason going the way that it will, uh, they'll probably stick with the experience instead now. So that one I could just cross off. The wide receiver one is very interesting because, like you said, it could mean that they had a, uh, a pretty poor season. So we'll see where that goes. Eric, did you have any additional ones that you were throwing around uh, before you settled on the one that you put out there? Honestly, I went pretty all in on that on that prediction. I think it's hard to predict this season. And, and you guys came up with some really good ones. So I was happy that that worked out for all three of us. But, you know, it's going to be really hard to see where the season's going with all the uncertainty. But I think Honestly, we could all be wrong and the season could play out completely different. I still think, though, pandemic aside, that this team, if I can make the record prediction, is not going to go better than nine and seven. I really think their ceiling is at eight and eight. And I think there's just too many challenges now, including the pandemic involved as well, that are going to prevent them from having a, a, a good season overall. I thought about throwing out there that they were going to make the playoffs with this new format and accidentally sneak in I, I just i'm not sure you know just like we've always we've been talking about you know with the, the extra team and the, the division is kind of like all over the place as well i don't know how much faith we have in uh philip rivers of course he's going to destroy us twice we know that for sure uh but you know uh, as far as that team you know what's going to happen there is ryan Tannehill really going to be able to replicate the success i don't know i don't think that's going to happen but it's something that i i, I thought about throwing out there <laughs> you know what we're all kind of going in this thing blind. So, you know, maybe a team falters and a playoff spot is open because a team that we expected to be there falters because of COVID-19. We don't want that to happen to anybody. But, you know, that ain't the craziest thing. Although I did the little Jim Mora imitation there. But, you know, that that has crossed my mind, too. So, you, yeah, you're not like off your rocker for saying that. Yeah, I can completely understand where you're coming from, too. I just think that in normal circumstances, it's already hard enough for the Jaguars to win divisional games. That's just been my experience as a fan. So with, with the challenges that are presented for the next season, I think that it's a lot to ask for on a team that on both sides of the balls has some question marks that could go either way. Well, this was certainly a lot of fun, guys. I'm glad uh, you were able to join us, Eric. Like you mentioned at the very top, this was so long overdue. So we're going to get out of here. Um, Jay, before I let you talk about what they have, uh, what they have to look forward to on the site as well as the podcast. Eric, what do you have going on? What do you want to plug that you know we're doing over there at the Wait for a Podcast, as well as anything else you want to talk about? 
Yeah, so at the top, I mentioned a couple different types of episodes you can check out. We release episodes every Monday and Wednesday, and our audience has been lucky enough to get some bonus episodes on Friday with some really great content that we've been putting out. I guess I'll leave you guys with this. If you're here at the end of this episode, you guys are the type of fans we're looking for over at the Wait For It podcast. So definitely check out our episodes over on the Wait For It podcast at Wait For It podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Wait For It Pod on Twitter. We're pretty much streaming everywhere that you listen to podcasts, so we'd love to have you over there. Absolutely. And Jay, what do they have to look forward to over on the Jaguars Wire and the the uh, podcast? Yeah, I first want to thank Eric for coming on because, as he said, and as you said, it was long overdue. It feels like uh, old times. And, you know, again, I've said this with Nick and Phil. Part of what propelled me in journalism to where I am is is Eric and Phil as well. So um, I we don't really mention Eric much in the podcast uh aside from you know when Phil makes a reference to uh the the um wait for it podcast but we've never referenced Eric in terms of saying hey let's have Eric on in, in during the recording or whatever the case may be and we finally got him on so that's good it feels like old times now we just got to get our other buddy on gauge and you know it'll just feel complete at that point but uh thank you for coming on Eric in terms of the content I'm still going to be working towards, you know, just kind of getting everybody ready for training camp and more so eyeing what's going on with the NFLPA and the league, which that's kind of been a trend lately. It's, it's more it's more so been about league wide news and, and, you know, in the office type of news for the NFLPA and NFL more so than the Jaguars. But, you know, with there being what eight rookies unsigned, you know, I'm sure it'll be some news to break on that. Uh, again, we're going to do our dip chart predictions on the defensive side as well. So be prepared for that. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Had fun. All right, gentlemen. It was a blast. I hope that you guys are all, uh, you and your families, of course, are safe and happy and healthy. We're going to get out of here, you guys. This has been another episode of the Believe in the Jaguars podcast. Of course, as a reminder, head on over to Apple Podcasts and drop that five-star review if you're enjoying everything. Jay, I also want to give a shout out to our fans over in the UK that have been listening. Thank you guys so much for the support. Uh, we're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us as part of that awesome Believe.com library and over at Believe Podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. We believe. Do you? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.